Hello and welcome to episode 481 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. Now, I hope you had a good weekend. And of course, for those of you who celebrated, I hope you had a happy Mother's Day. I spent the day with my family, including my mother and grandmother. Yes, I'm still quite shocked, but very happy that I have my wonderful grandmother around. Uh, And then I came home and had an Ask Me Anything session with wonderful members of the Freelance Writing Masterclass program. Now, I'll also be adding an extra tutorial in the program as a result of some of the things we talked about, if you're a member. Big hello to everyone who gave us feedback from our first Friday fix that went out to our Furious Fiction fan club members last week that went out well on Friday, funnily enough. The May story challenge is to tell the story of a thief stealing cookies from a jar. Fun, right? If you're not familiar with the short, 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 short story competition that is Furious Fiction, go check it out at furiousfiction.com.au. We've got a handful of courses starting this week and one that I'm really excited for is the Freelance Writing Stage 1 course. This one is with the Saturday Papers Deputy Editor Cindy McDonald. Now, Cindy's got such a breadth of experience writing and editing and putting together some of the best papers and newspapers and magazines in the country. She was also deputy editor at Good Weekend for many years and is one of the most respected players in the industry. So I'm very excited for the students who get to learn from Cindy for the next five weeks. It's an amazing opportunity. So what have you guys been up to? I've been picking limes from my lime tree. I've been watching The Staircase on Foxtel, uh, starring Colin Firth and Tony Collette. It's a dramatization of the real life incidents surrounding the writer. I love watching, you know, shows about writers and authors. Michael Peterson, who was convicted of murdering his wife, Kathleen, um, and they're played by Colin Firth and Tony Collette. And Kathleen was found dead at the bottom of their staircase. Now, I've only done episode one so so far so the verdict is still out on whether it's an amazing series but it certainly intrigued me from the first episode let's move on to our writing tip this week there was a discussion in one of the forums for our write your novel program recently about touch typing one student felt that the speed of her typing or the lack of speed really slowed her down especially as she often goes back to fix up the typos Now, I have to admit, I'm a big believer in learning how to touch type. My dad really got me onto it at a very young age. And then I did that computer game. And if anyone else can remember, Mavis Beacon, and that really helped me as well because it basically gamified touch typing. Now, there are free courses online. And honestly, you can learn it in just a week or two if you practice for consistently for maybe 10 minutes a day or something. And that's what I did with Mavis Beacon, right? Most of the other students in the group agreed that it is a valuable skill and it's not hard to learn. And once you get into a groove, it can feel like your fingers are faster than your thoughts. You know, like the thoughts bypass your brain altogether. It's quite amazing. Like some things I actually can't say out loud. I have to put my fingers on the keyboard and type them out. So that's a pretty interesting experience. Now, the other part of the student's question is about fixing typos as you go. If you're working on a first draft, oh, look, just forget about the typos. Try and ignore those squiggly red lines. I know it's not always easy, but if you keep stopping to go back and change, you know, T-E-H to T-H-E or whatever, you will lose your train of thought. Now, if you're already a really proficient touch, touch typist, you, that might just come, fixing typos might be second nature to you. But if you're not really well versed in it, and if you're not really fast at it, just don't worry about the typos. Remember, for you, going backwards is the opposite of going forwards. So just keep going forwards. Don't worry, get over it. You can fix it in the next draft because nobody is going to read your first draft except for you you will have the chance to revise it and fix it when you go through it in the next incarnation. So one tip to help you ignore typos though, is you can turn off the squiggly red line in Word that highlights your typos. 
So in your options, so that's options, go to proofing and then uncheck the option that says check spelling as you type. Yeah. So options, proofing, then uncheck the option that says check spelling as you type. Of course, you can still run a spelling and grammar check whenever you like by clicking on the spelling and grammar button in the review ribbon. Now, if grammar is something that you struggle with in your manuscript, also just remember we have a grammar course designed especially for fiction writers. It's designed for fiction writers and it's part of our Fiction Essentials suite of courses and it's called Grammar and Punctuation for Fiction Writers. It goes into all that nitty-gritty detail of getting your grammar and punctuation just right so that you can be confident that your manuscript is as polished as it can be because that's what you want it to be before you send it out to anyone, right? You can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash fiction grammar. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? Our word of the week this week is Kiliad. Kiliad. Now that's actually spelt C-H, but pronounced with like a K or a C. C-H-I-L-I-A-D. Kiliad. Do you know what it means? It is a noun meaning either a thousand or a thousand years. You can hear kind of how it's related to kilo, like kilogram and kilometer, but kiliad, spelt with a ch, retains the Greek spelling with a ch, while the other kilo words in English change to use a k and the k sound. Another fun fact, it's related to the word myriad, you know, M-Y-R-I-A-D, which in ancient Greek meant 10,000, but which now means an indefinitely great number or innumerable. So there you go. That's the word of the week, Kiliad. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. And also a big thank you to everyone who has bought the book, So You Want to Be a Writer. Lately, we have been busy signing so that we can pack them off to you. So a big thank you to all of you. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Today, I'm talking to E. Lockhart, who is the author of Family of Liars. Now, this is the prequel to the global phenomenon that was We Were Liars, which actually came out a few years ago and did, you know, fairly well, but then went bonkers during the pandemic thanks to TikTok or BookTok, where heaps of people around the world started posting about that book, We Were Liars. The sales went through the roof and people started demanding more from E. Lockhart. And so this is the prequel. We chat about her writing journey, her other books, and how she has made the most of her popularity on TikTok. Thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. Yeah, glad to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you about your latest book, Family of Liars. It's I'm gonna I already know it's going to be a sensation. Just in case readers haven't got a copy of their own yet, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. Family of Liars is set on a private island off the coast of Massachusetts, and it's the story of a young woman who's the eldest of a number of sisters in a family that spends every summer on this island. And when Carrie is 17, um, their lives are kind of upended for the summer by the arrival of a literal boatload of attractive young men. <laughs> um, it's a romantic story, but it is not a romance. I would call it a thriller. It's kind of a story about the dark uh, side of human nature and an exploration of, um, you know, what we're capable of at our worst and forgiveness and um, how to move on from things that 
one might do that are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, it's very similar in its thematic content to my novel, We Were Liars, which is um, set uh, 27 years later. So this novel takes place um, with a whole different generation of the Sinclair family that you saw in We Were Liars. And so you get to see um, and uncover a whole lot of family secrets that are not revealed in that first book. Mm. So We Were Liars became a publishing sensation. And when you wrote it, did you know at that time that you were going to write a prequel at some point? No, I didn't know at all. Um, We Were Liars came out in the US in 2014. And I think at the same time in Australia, and it was nicely popular. I was really happy to have so many readers. I felt really lucky um, that it found its readers. And then then it was kind of done the way books are, right? After a year or two, after the paperback is out and all that, it quiets down and it quieted down. And I went on and wrote other books. And um then what happened was basically I got this wonderful surge of new readers um, starting in around mid 2020. And the reason was that people were making videos on TikTok about this novel in particular. Mm. And I just had the wonderful luck that a couple really great TikTok creators with smart ways of, of conveying their feelings about books happened to make videos about about my novel. And so sales went way up and have stayed up, you know, for 18, 20 months. And um, during that period, uh, a lot of people were asking me if I wanted to write a sequel. And if you've Mm. read We Were Liars, you (laughs) can tell that a sequel might not be such a good idea. Um, (laughs) I could not figure out how to write a sequel that anybody would be happy to read that would deliver the same kind of thrill or, and experience um, that the first book did. And so it really took me a while to figure out what I could write that would be satisfying, that I thought mm. I could do a good job with, that was worth spending a year of my time on, um, and that would be worth other people reading. And I finally did um, come up with an idea that that I wanted to do. Um, mm. But, you know, if you'd asked me, you know, when, when We Were Liars first came out, I would have said, no way. Mm. So if you, you know, had not thought, oh, I'll, I'll write a prequel one day, did you, though, already have the backstory of some of the characters? No. So No. Wow. I made it all up fresh. Wow. Okay. So just for people who may not have read We Are Liars or some of your other books, what age do you or, or what life stage do you think your you focus on in terms of your readers? Well, my books are all published as young adult novels. And um, my actual readers range from 11 to 92. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of uh, adult readers, maybe more yes. than a typical YA writer. I think that's partly because my books tend to be good for book club discussion. Yeah. They're very, you know, there's lend themselves to a certain amount of arguing and unpacking and Mm. um and other than that, I don't really know why. But I I know (laughs) who comes to my events and I know know who I'm seeing um talk about the books online and so forth. And it and there's yeah, a, a pretty nice number of adults. Um, yeah. But I'm writing with that teenage reader in mind, and yes. then anyone else who comes to the table is welcome to join us. Yes. So you, you these books are published as young adult novels, but, um, for example, I am the same age as the main character. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of the, you know, the references, the music, the... Um, movies, the people that the character loves as a teenager are things I completely relate to. So I think it's really clever how layered it is because um, as, you know, people my age, decades older than young adult, 
read it and enjoy it and resonate with it and connect with it because it's also a little bit nostalgic, but you can relate to the universal themes, right? Did you layer in those things on purpose? <laughs> You're probably going to say, nah, that was just. <laughs> well, I mean, the book is set in 1987. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did spend some time with the food in particular. Um, so the Sinclairs are cooking, you know, they're all on this private island and they're making, you know, they're having little parties and they're cooking out and things like that. And um, I did a bunch of research about food in the 80s and uh, <laughs> things that were trendy. You know, everybody was really excited about pesto and sun-dried tomatoes. And, um, you know, uh, there were some things like that uh, that were really fun to layer in. Um, and there's music that's definitely layered in. That's the music that teenagers were listening to at that time, a certain demographic of teenagers. Um, but the story is told very much, even though there's a little frame story where you see the narrator as a grown woman, um, it's told with it, like hopefully a sense of, of immediacy and, and, mm. and a respect for that teenage experience as opposed to with a nostalgic mm. wisdom or uh, I think that's one of the things that's, that tends to separate YA as a genre from adult fiction about teenage characters, right? Mm. Is adult fiction about teenage characters has room to be jaded, has room to be cynical, has room to make fun of them, has room to know better than them or be wise about mistakes that those teenagers characters are making, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff, um, including nostalgia, right, mm -hmm. that might uh, come into um, adult fiction. And I think that in YA, you very rarely see nostalgia. I mean, the, yes, Family of Liars does have it. But I think that it's still YA because it doesn't have all that other stuff that I just said. Mm -mm. That makes sense. But sure, I mean, if there's a pop of nostalgia for those adult <laughs> readers, like that's a, you know, that can be very pleasurable. And I, I certainly hope people enjoy it. Mm. What draws you to writing young adult? Well, partly I just turn out to be good at it. Um, I didn't know that I would be. I had written two books for adults early in my career and neither of them was particularly successful. I wrote a book of essays and a novel. And I was struggling with my third novel, um, or my, sorry, my third book for adults. Mm. And it was not coming together. And my editor ended up quitting the publishing house and leaving publishing. So I didn't even have anybody really to show it to besides my agent. And I just was at a loss. And I said to my agent, I was teaching three different, I had three different teaching gigs, right? I, you know, I was running all over New York City teaching. And I just thought I should be writing. I said, get me a job writing anything instead of teaching. Not that teaching is bad or that I didn't like it. I did like it. But I wasn't going to grow as a writer if I wasn't writing as a big part of my occupation. And this book, you know, needed to go in the garbage that I was working on. So I was like, let me ghost write. Let me, I'll write Nancy Drew novels or, or, you know, or, or, or movie tie-ins for somebody, or I'll write, I'll ghost write a cookbook or a self-help book. Like I'll, you know, I'm open to anything. I just want to be writing and getting better at it while I try to figure out a novel to write. And she said, okay, okay, I will put my ear, you know, I will put my, what's the phrase? My ear, ear to, the, to ground. the ground. <laughs> a professional writer. She, she put her ear to the ground and um, she came back like two weeks later and she said, there's an editor at Random House who um, read your adult novel. She's like one of five people in the whole world who read this book, right? And it happened to be this editor at Random House who was publishing teen books. And they were looking for, um, you know, what used to be called chiclet, 
like for, but for teenagers. And there was some really great stuff out there at that time. Um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, mm-hmm. books by Louise Renison, uh, books by Meg Cabot, books by Rachel Cohn. Um, I went to the bookstore and I got all of these uh, in a big stack and I read them and they were so witty and funny and feminist and charming. And I thought, these are some really excellent books. This is some fun, smart, thoughtful fiction. And so I wrote a proposal and I got a two book deal. I never had a two book <laughs> deal before. I had just been at sea and messing around. And suddenly this publishing house was like, let's do it. Let's go. And, um, so I did. And the book I wrote was so obviously better than what I had written before. It was like very clear to me, even early on, even before all the revisions I did, this was a book called The Boyfriend List. It just was obviously like more at home with this kind of character, with this length of story. I I was able to be like fresh and honest and my sense of humor was coming out better. And I think it was just better storytelling, more true, more open, looser. Um, and so that was that, you know what I mean? Then I was a young adult novelist. Um, but the community is great, right? The people who make the books for young people, like those are great people. They are librarians, the booksellers, the English teachers, right? The, the other authors, like all these people, there are so many issues that you can get really excited about and and be useful around when you're talking about books for young people. Issues about, for example, literacy, um, book banning, access to uh, libraries and 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 books, um, inf- access to information about LGBTQIA issues or sexual health, um, freedom of speech. There's all kinds of needs, right, that young people as a group of readers have. But, you know, the crime readers, we don't need to worry about them. They're fine. Crime <laughs> readers or, 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 you know, romance readers, they're, they're grownups. They don't have these same sets of needs around which a community can galvanize, right? We're not worried about the romance readers um, and the crime readers. They're, they're just independent. So the teenagers are not, right? Um, they need advocates. They need literature. They need access and all of this stuff. So I really liked that world that I found myself in. With, with with like colleagues who were doing things and useful things to do and fundraising and 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 all of that i really like it so it's mm. um it's been a great space and community as well as just a natural home for my voice so you found your calling you also had time working with dc comics and what oh, yeah. and would was given the opportunity to invent a superhero. I'm sorry, but that's like so many people's dream come true. How in the world did this happen? It was my dream come true too. Um, so I invented a superhero. I, I didn't know, I don't know if Whistle is available in Australia, but I invented a hero whose name is Whistle. And the, the graphic novel is called Whistle, A New Gotham City Hero. So it's set in Gotham City, which as you, you know, is where Batman lives. And um, basically, I think that there's a was a really wonderful editor at DC Comics who was interested in bringing young adult novelists in to write comics for young people or, or graphic novels for young people using, you know, the DCU that existed, char- famous characters, Gotham City, and so on. And um, I think that she had read this novel of mine, Genuine Fraud. And Genuine Fraud has in it a lot of stuff about action heroes and superheroes in particular. A lot of like coded references, you know, that a fan would recognize that somebody else might just skip over. Um, But it's very much threaded through. And so I think they got interested in me because of that. That book has a lot of action. It's about a, um, a con artist. Um, 
and they invited me to pitch them some characters. I pitched them two characters, and in both cases, they said no. Um, and I think this is always interesting for, for writers, like the people who listen to your podcast, to hear because it was a definite no. It was like, mm, try again. And then <laughs> mm, not this one and not even try again. So I was like, all right, they don't like my proposals. Like it was nice to be invited to pitch. We're not a good fit. I was like, I forgot about it. But then I was going out to LA, which is where their offices are. And I was going to be out there for a little bit. And my agent said that she had continued to talk to that editor right, who had had this idea of bringing in all these writers. And they were bringing in really great people. They were bringing in, you know, they brought in uh, uh, Lauren Myrickle and Maggie Steve Otter and, and Mariko Tamaki and um, uh, Jean Lewin Yang and and just like really great people were, were writing their heroes. And um, anyway, so my agent was like, oh, go, go in and talk to them face to face, right? Stop mm. talking to them on the telephone and via mm. email just go in and talk to them. And I was like, okay, but they don't really like my writing. So I don't think it's gonna go that well, you know? Uh, but she was like, just go, go, go. I'm setting up the meeting. So I went and it's so fun there. It, like if you were a comic, I, I grew bet. up with Batman and <laughs> Spider-Man and Spider-Man's Marvel, of course, but I grew up with, you know, superhero comics yes. as well as Archie comics and a lot of other stuff. So you walk in and there's like, Henry Cavill's Superman suit and, and Ben Affleck's Batman suit are just, or maybe it's George Clooney. I'm not sure whose Batman suit it is, but it's like a Batman suit from the movies. And there's a whole like section of the, of the um, lobby that has done like a sort of Joker's lair. And, oh, wow. um, and then they gave me a tour of the archive and like, I have a PhD in book history. Like, I love a rare book room. Like, I don't do that anymore. But I was so excited to get in this archive. And it there's like a librarian. There's like an official DC Comics librarian. And he gives you a tour and he shows you all this movie memorabilia and and, and first editions and, and original art from like, you know, Wonder Woman 1 and things like that. You know, it's really, and you I just thought, this is Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman. Like these are characters that mean things to people yeah. all over the globe. And and like I'm looking at the first drawings of Wonder Woman. Wow. Right. And and you know, these characters have been around since the 30s, a lot of them, right? So it's just so much history and so much reach, right, for this storytelling. Yeah. So suddenly I wanted to be in the DC Comics business, which I, you know, before I got there, I was like, rah, 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 rah. and I went and I thought, oh, they're going to tell me to like write them another pitch and they're not going to like it. But I at least was excited to be at the at the meeting by this point. And then they said, do you want to invite your invent your own superhero? And if you'd like to put her in Gotham, you can. And I was like, oh, I thought you didn't even really like me. And they were just like, well, we think you're not so good at pitching our characters, but we think you could make your own. And I was like, I would love to do that. And so that was it, really. I, I had so much fun. It was just a blast. And That's I got to incredible. use Batman villains. So my, my book has the Riddler and Poison Ivy and Killer Croc in it. And it was just so fun to play in that sandbox. Absolutely incredible. How fantastic. Now, when you are in the throes of writing, you're in the depths of your first draft, let's just mm -hmm. take Family of Lies as an example because it's the one sure. that's, you know, out now. Do you have a writing routine that you get into? Like, do you have a process in that some authors, oh, they think about it for three months and then they start writing or they they don't know what's going to happen, then they discover it as they unfold. What do you do to the actual process of getting the words down? Well, I usually sell on a pitch. Mm. So with Family of Liars, I figured out the most important thematic content and, um, and the key elements of the plot. And I wrote a pitch 
Um, and I write a very stylized pitch usually, kind of it, as much in the voice of the book mm. itself as I possibly can. Um, and that's always the only way that it's worked for me. I can't kind of step back and coolly observe some novel that I haven't even written yet. I have to like really try to find the storytelling voice in the pitch. Mm. So I did that, it's maybe a 10 page pitch. And then I was contracted to write the book. And so I knew what those like tent pole poles are gonna be, right? The things yep. that are gonna hold up the plot. And I work in Scrivener, um, huh. which uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm. It's a word processing program that allows you to kind of have a bird's eye view of the structure of your novel. Um, and you can see it a number of different ways. You can kind of see it as a big list um, or you can see it as uh, index cards. Mm. And um, so I plugged my plot points into that and began generating more kind of things that would need to happen in order for those tentpole moments to happen, right? Mm. Oh, well, if this big thing is going to happen, well, then these people have to show up on the island and then these people have to, you know, then some the relationships have to develop in this way. And I want there to be a lot of parties on this island. So what kind of parties could I have? And I spent some time brainstorming parties and I had a list of parties and some of them didn't make it into the book, but I threw the parties in, you know, sometimes they just throw the parties into the outline somewhere being like, eh, at some point we're going to need another party. Let's put a party. <laughs> I think, what happens at the party? Right. So then I would say, Maybe this happens at the party. Maybe that happens. Oh, I know this party should go earlier. So Scrivener lets you move those parties yeah. around and move the kissing scenes around and move, you know, move stuff around until you have. So then I'm writing little bits and pieces, but mostly I'm really just outlining. And then at some point I start really writing and I don't necessarily hold to that outline perfectly. It keeps moving, but I can see the structure in Scrivener and being able to see the structure and see how I'm actually building suspense and how I'm building a romantic relationship in a story, you know, cause I can see what scenes are doing that, those jobs. Mm. And that um, really helps me to pace it properly. So you start with outlining, do you outline it till the end? So you know, basically the plot before you fill in the gap, so to speak. Uh, I mean, like I know the plot twists. Mm -hmm. Yes. Key elements, yes. But I don't I, I, I certainly didn't know like how the denouement was going to, sure. you know, pan out or really what I would have to say because I don't know what I'm going to say until I've written the rest of the novel, you know, and I yes, figured out like what it, what the journey really is. And then when so you... Says, the outline kind of says denouement, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then when you're writing it, do you then, after you've outlined it, to as much as you want to, do you then write it in a linear fashion or do you go, oh, you know, I might write this party today or I might write that, this kissing scene today. Or I might, and then no. just kind of fill it in depending on what you feel like. Um, I do bounce around, but I usually mm. write the opening of the book first, like the first 25, 30 pages mm. I write first because I'm making my way in yes. and I need to right in order to know the answers right and in yep. order to know who these characters are and and understand the world and you know <laughs> what the main character is up against in terms of the story world and the pressures the story world is putting on that main character mm. all that happens in those opening pages so it's mm. not easy to jump forward to kissing when you don't know <laughs> who doing, you know yes yes and so when in terms of your writing day what does that look like because it's I'm I'm amazed at how different different authors work. You know, from the hours they keep to the word count goals that they have to what gets them into the groove. What does your writing day look like? Um, it's so boring. It's just <laughs> like you know, I'm a parent, so I wake up in the morning and I do parenty stuff and I do houseworky mm. stuff and I do some exercisey stuff and then I have some coffee and I take a shower. And then, you know, at kind of working hours when people have gone off to school and work and whatever, then I sit down and I open my computer and I try to write something. And I try to write, you know, I try to prioritize that and not get distracted by my email or a Q&A I have to do or, you know, art I have to review. It's very easy to like say, oh, I, mm. I just have to review this art because somebody wants an email back from me. Mm. 
it's better to say, no, I'm doing this book for like, you know, two, three hours. I usually have a word count goal. What is your word count goal? Um, at the start of a book, it's 500 words. A day. They're, yeah, which is small. Yeah. Um, because I cannot do anymore when I don't know, I don't have any momentum yet. Um, right. And then if I'm, if things are going really well, I'll do, you know, 1500 to 2000 in a day. Okay. But the 2000 word day is like, Eight. I'm tuckered out after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, at top speed, I will go maybe 1500 words a day or, you know, 1000 to 1500 in a day, depending on what else is going on, you know? Yes. Um, so do you have an end point in your day? Because some writers like to review what they've written in the day, in the evening. And, you know, do you have an end point or do you, do you close the computer and go, that's it, and I'm not going to think about it till tomorrow? Uh, mostly I don't think about it. I mean, I do a lot of revision as I go. Um, so I'm not necessarily generating 1,500 words straight out. I'm generating 400 going back, you know, then going mm. back earlier you know, flushing mm -hmm. out a scene earlier on then going back to the main thing I'm working on, revising that first 400 again. Okay, now that's solid. Now I can go forward. Mm. You know, I do a lot of that. So when you spoke about your experience with DC Comics, you spoke with such excitement and passion that and it was obviously a highlight in your professional career or, or something you really enjoyed doing. What else in your career as a writer has given you that buzz? Well, I really like collaborating, but I am I but only with the people I like collaborating with. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not like a great team player. I never played softball or soccer or anything. I I don't really have that great uh, uh you know, team spirit. But uh I wrote a bunch of books for younger children together with Sarah Monofsky and Lauren Myrickle called Upside Down Magic. And we did eight of them and they were, it was so much fun. I mean, just to their comedies. So I was writing, you know, these big, dark young adult novels. And then, you know, when I was done with that for the day, I would get to just like try to make these two other writers laugh. And they're two of the funniest comedy writers I know and vice versa, right? So sometimes we would work all together on the phone, working on a Google Doc. Other times we would send each other chapters back and forth, but it was so energizing. And I think that's one of the reasons that the DC project was also so fun is I had a huge amount of back and forth with the mm. artist Manuel Cretano. And, you know, we invented like a superhero costume together, right? emailing back and forth, looking at inspiration images. And, you know, he was really flexible and would draw um, whatever I wanted him to draw, basically. And so that was, you know, and he was all the way in Italy and I've never met him. Wow. So we had this wonderful collaboration. Like he's my mm -hmm. favorite person that I've never met. We've never even Zoomed. <laughs> wow. <know>? I know. <laughs> in this day and age, how's that even possible? <laughs> no, we didn't. So um, I like I like the I like collaboration when it's when it's a good fit and I've been mm. very lucky to have some some good fits that way and and I think it makes me a stronger writer right to see have people push you know push against my ideas um, rewrite something I've written or or take an idea and run you know, way further than I might have gone. Mm -mm. In terms of this book, what do you, what was the most enjoyable thing about it and what was the most challenging thing about writing it? Well, Family of Liars and We Were Liars are both set on this private island off the coast of Massachusetts and it's got four houses on it. It's called Beachwood Island. And I just made it up. I've never been to a private island. I've, you know, looked at them on the internet, just like anybody. Um, but I spent a lot of time um, on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off of Cape Cod. And so I know that kind of landscape. So this island to me, it's like a, it was really nice to return to this island and to like mm. revisit, to, 
go back into its past to see the houses that used to be there to invent those houses to, but also to you know i think one of the pleasures of reading these books is is this great summer vacation right mm. <laughs> with um you know bad things happen but mm. uh it's a it's a beautiful craggy windswept island with these you know old kind of cape cod style houses on it and there's um people are making beautiful food and having these sort of quirky summer parties and so returning to beechwood island i guess was was a great pleasure for me mm. you know i didn't think i was going to go back there and i got to go back there yes. um in my imagination yes. um the challenge was that in writing a prequel or any kind of companion novel to a book that was known for it, two things, right? We Were Liars was known for making people cry mm -hmm. and for having a big plot twist. Mm -hmm. And so those are tall orders to be like, <laughs> okay, now your new book has to have a big plot twist and make people cry. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, if you say that to a novelist, they just kind of, you're going to crawl into a hole and, and not write anything. It's too scary. It's too hard to just like decide that that's your job. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I tried to like break it down into much more small and nuanced um, kind of cognitive effects or pleasures that we were liars had delivered. Like what were elements that I could repeat but change or deepen or shift, right? And I began sort of bit by bit to like find my way in to a way of delivering the same, but still very different reading experience. Mm. And I had to do that in like in baby steps, I guess, in, in tiny gestures, in tiny choices. Um, in like bit by bit layering things um, into Family of Liars. Um, mm. There was no way for me to just do that all at once. No. It was too intimidating. Incredible. Obviously you succeeded. Um, and uh, so finally, what uh, I always end with, what are your top three um, tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where, where you are one day with, you know, such incredible success Well, when I was in college, I took a creative writing class and I had never taken a creative writing class before uh, in college. I had taken one in high school and um, you had to submit a short story to get into this creative writing class. And I, I wrote a story just for that purpose. It had to be 10 pages long. I remember thinking, oh, my God, how does anybody write a 10 page story? It seems so <laughs> long. Um, I got into the class. I was super proud and excited. And it was such a disaster. Everybody in that class was really encouraged to just say vicious things about each other's work. So whenever my oh. pieces were workshopped, I would go home crying and um, a lot of things were wrong in that class. But really what I was gonna say was many, many people in that class were better writers than I was. I ended up feeling like I was the loser of the class basically. And lots of them were very skilled and or talented. But I am the person, right? With the fiction writing career Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is the difference between me and them when I was like the worst student in the class? <laughs> and the difference between me and them is that my novels are finished. Mm. And yeah. they could be as brilliant as they were and probably still are. But if their novels are not finished, their novels are not going to be in a bookstore. So I wrote a novel and it was terrible and I wrote another novel and it was terrible and I set out to try to figure out how to write a good novel and I educated myself to the best of my ability by taking apart the novels of Charles Dickens and the novels of Catherine Dunn and, you know, and saying and the novels of um, 
oh, why can't I, John Irving. And who, you know, these were just people I liked reading at the time. But um, so one, finish your novel. Yes. Two, you can teach yourself to write a novel by taking books that you really like and trying to unpack what those people are doing. Because there are a million guidelines and rules for writing fiction, but only you really love this one book, right? That really gets you. And so you want to write like that person, but like yourself, right? So what mm. is that person doing? Like, how are they struck? What, you know, what, how are they structuring a scene? How are they introducing a character? How are they dealing with their exposition? What are they doing that's building suspense? Are they, you know, John Irving is naked with it. He's absolutely bald. He says like, little did I know, like that all that was gonna go to shit later, right? He's like absolutely telling you like, a bad thing will happen later, so have some suspense right now. You know, it never <laughs> occurred to me that you were allowed to do that, right? He does it and everyone loves it because in certain, you know, in, in, in strong hands, it works really well, mm. right? So you have to figure out how to, okay, so how does he get away with it, right? How does he do it when it, and it doesn't feel cheesy? What's, you know, wh what, how is he setting it up? And then he's, you know, and then he's using it so that, that you, even in a calm part of the story, right? You want to move forward to find out what the drama is going to be. So take apart the thing that you really groove on, the thing that you, the book, that book that you want to read and reread um, and dissect it and unpack it and, and then borrow those techniques. Mm, um, so that was two. That was two. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Just have a thick skin. You're going to get rejected a lot. Mm. I, I mean, I, I have books. In the past year, I've had multiple projects rejected, multiple pitches, multiple, uh, one full, you know, full length book that took several different editors to find a home for like, you know, I'm on the bestseller list right now, and I'm still getting projects re rejected. So it's not going to, that's not going to be over, probably ever. And so mm. you just have to be like, okay, didn't get what I want. What yes. now? And that, that attitude, okay, didn't get what I want, what now? Mm. Is, that's probably the other difference between me and those wonderful writers I was in college with. Um, you know, is just that pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Don't let the rejection get to you. Great advice. And no doubt you're going to consolidate yourself on the bestseller list with this. So Family of Liars, congratulations. <laughs> so excited. I'm excited um, for people to read it. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. So thank you so much for your time today, Emily. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to get to talk about writing. I hope you enjoyed this chat with E. Lockhart. Family of Lies, this book was such a gripping read and it reminded me a lot about the themes and ideas and story um, in The Secret History, the brilliant book by Donna Tartt, which, you know, I also could not put down when I read it all those years ago. E. Lockhart has certainly carved out a firm space in the young adult market and as evidenced by the popularity of her books on TikTok, who would have thought, it's young people who drove the resurgence of interest in We Were Liars, which prompted this prequel. Another person who is successfully written for this market is Frances Chapman, who wrote her debut novel for this market after her course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Here's Frances. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue, and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule, and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Here's what Frances Chapman says. I was looking for a course that uh, would introduce me to other people who would be able to tell me if I was on the right track and I was hoping to learn some of the essentials around structure, point of view and voice and those kind of grounding essentials for novel writing. I first enrolled in a creative writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre and I really liked the tutor of that course so I had, an, had another look and she was doing a six-month write your novel 
course the next year. The course was so valuable in so many ways and this gave me an opportunity to meet other people who were going through the same kind of process. And I found some people who were willing to give me some really constructive and helpful feedback on what I was writing. The other thing that was really valuable in that course was learning some of the fundamentals of storytelling. I would highly recommend any courses at the Australian Writers Centre. Any author can, at any stage of their career can benefit from hearing the input of other writers. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. Let's move on to our competition this week. Now, as I said, I love movies, books, TV shows about writers. So what I've got for you this week is a novel about writers. It's called Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Nora is a cutthroat literary agent at the top of her game. Her whole life is books. Charlie is an editor with a gift for creating bestsellers. And he's Nora's work nemesis. Nora has been through enough breakups to know she's the woman men date before they find their happy ever after. That's why Nora's sister has persuaded her to swap her desk in the city for a month's holiday in Sunshine Falls, North Carolina. It's a small town straight out of a romance novel. But instead of meeting sexy lumberjacks, handsome doctors or cute bartenders, Nora keeps bumping into Charlie. She's no heroine. He's no hero, so can they take a page out of an entirely different book? We have three copies of Book Lovers to give away. Just go to writercentercomau slash win and follow the instructions for your chance to win one of these three copies. Entries close on the 16th of May. That's writercentercomau slash win. Well, we've now come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really grateful to be able to be in your ears to share some of these fantastic insights from all of these wonderful authors. If you're not already in the podcast listener community on Facebook, make sure you join. It's free to join. I'd love to connect with you in there. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Of course, you can always connect with me on social media. I'm Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.